you have your Bibles, why don't you just say amen? If you're going to cheat and look at the screen, why don't you say amen? You're a bunch of cheaters. That's all right. We'll look at the screen. I got my Bible, but I also got a screen in front of me. While you're turning to Genesis chapter 13, why don't we give it up for Excel Youth Group. Done an incredible job. I have a few friends here. I'm just going to take a moment and greet a few people. Caleb and Beth, thank you so much for being friends. Caleb, you probably don't even know this, but April sometime, uh, 2011, came to preview weekend, what's next? There was a tree and some Bibles hanging, and he was on United Worship Leading during that whole preview weekend. That preview weekend changed my life, and the tracks and the songs that you were a part of singing and recording uh, really helped me make it through my freshman year. And I, I still can't listen to those songs today without stirring up those emotions of walking onto a new campus, not knowing what I was even doing there. It was just me and one of my friends that dropped me off. And God's brought me such a mighty long way. And I thank, I'm so thankful for that. And I thank you for encouraging me through your ministry, Caleb. And Beth, Kids Fest, thank you. I don't even know where you're at, but thank you for allowing me to serve with you. It was such a big responsibility, but I do appreciate you allowing me to lead and serve with my peers. It really did help me learn some valuable lessons that I'm uh, using today. Thank you so very much. And then to the Bufords, both Elder and Sister Buford, and then Pastor and Sister Buford, I love you all. Thank you for being such a family of integrity and character. I appreciate your kindness that you shared throughout the years. You've always been so, so kind to me and my family. I, I value you in the kingdom of God. Can we give it up for our pastors? They are incredible. Just wonderful examples. I have so many other friends. Uh, I have family here, the O'Daniels, somehow through distant cousins, twice removed, second aunties, brother, sister, something. We're related somehow. Uh, and then to my wife, Natalie, and my beautiful baby girl, Kyle, I love you all. I'm so glad that you're home. I'm thankful to do life with you. And then to Excel Youth Group, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and minister with you all. Didn't we have a great time this week so far? Thank you all so much for being here and for letting me teach Sunday school. That was such a fun time. Uh, your youth pastors are going to do incredible, and they've already done incredible. Continue to help us grow closer to God as we speak Jesus over our family. And then before I read, go ahead and go to verse 10 of Genesis 13, the brother and sister Lo, I appreciate both of you all so much for the example, 13 years of youth ministry. That shows that you actually care about it, that you love it, and so thank you so much for leading the next generation. I value and appreciate you. And to Urshan College, I love you. Y'all are my heart. Keep up the good work. Keep being a great example, Urshan. Genesis 13, 10, it says, And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Isn't it interesting that Lot only from a distance saw this land and he compared it to something wonderful like the garden of God, like the garden of Eden. We must be careful that as a family, as an individual, that something that we see from a distance, we automatically assume that it's blessed and even approved and affirmed by God. We must do some research for ourselves. But Lot didn't do any research. We see that in verse 11, Lot chose for himself. Someone say, he chose for himself. He chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, that land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot journeyed east, and there they, him and Abraham, separated from each other. For the next few moments, I just want to preach from verse 11, choosing for yourself. Look to your neighbor and say, choosing for yourself. Amen. You may be seated. Choosing for yourself. 
Don't you hate when you lose things? You ever been at Walmart maybe and you don't remember if it was the grocery pharmacy side or the house side that you parked your car and so you're outside with your little clicker and you're pressing the button because you, you lost it? That's not just the old people. Do I have any young people that just lost their car in a parking lot somewhere? See, my key fob battery died, and I haven't replaced it yet, so I don't have the luxury of hitting the alarm to see it. I got to go walk around to all the gold cars that look like mine and see which one's actually mine. What about guys when you lost that match that match to your pair of socks? I feel like the dryer always only steals one pair. It's never both of the same kind. Or what about when you lose that, that? That thought is just on the tip of your tongue, but you just, you just can't seem to get that name or that thing out. I remember my best friend Joel and his wife Alana, the youth pastor there in Georgia, and uh, their daughter Zara. She's now about six, but a few years ago when she was four, she just got into that hide-and-go-seek phase. And, and you know if you've ever played hide-and-go-seek with a young kid, the way they play is very different. It's I'm going to go hide under the bed, and then you come and find me. Or you go hide behind the bathtub curtain, and then, then I'll come find you, Brother Caleb. And it's super easy. But this time, Zara decided she wanted to be in the Olympics for hide-and-go-seek. And so she didn't tell her mom that she was even playing hide-and-go-seek. She just went missing. And at first, it was cute. Alanda's going around the house, Zara, Zara, where are you at, Zara? And then minutes started to pass, and so Alanda, like a good mother, started to get worried. And so she said, Zara, Zara Johns, where are you at? And Zara she doesn't say anything. So she goes downstairs and she sees the doors unlocked and she starts to just imagine the craziest of things. Maybe Zara went outside and, or maybe someone came inside and abducted her. Where is Zara? And so she runs outside screaming, Zara, John, where are you at? You need to come home right now. She calls her husband, you better get home from work now. Someone's done stole our baby girl. We got to go right now. She comes inside. She closes the door and she looks over in the, the corner. None of the curtains, some little bitty toes, sister lower wiggling. She moves that curtain back, and Zara's sitting there. <laughs> she says, ooh, don't you ever do that again. I love you. I just want to kill you. What are you doing? Oh. And you lose stuff. What about when you're sitting there in the living room hanging out, and you see a cockroach off in the corner? So you go to the kitchen under the sink to get that bottle of raid, and when you come back, that roach is lost. Pastor, I'm moving in with you. It's time to move out. That house is no longer mine. It was my wedding day when the photographer came in the room with my guys, my best friends, my knights at the round table, and they said, it's time to take pictures, Beth. And I looked down, and I realized that all I have on is socks, and I don't know where my shoes are. And the wedding's only like an hour and a half away, and my shoes are 25 minutes away at the hotel in downtown Seattle. Lost. Even worse was that one time I lost something that I will never, ever, ever forget that I lost. At the same time, that I started to talk back to my grandmother. Simultaneously, a pink house shoe came flying across my face. She pointed that bony little finger at me, said, you done lost your mind. How many of y'all got a kid that done lost their mind before? How many of y'all have ever done lost your mind to your parents? You was like, I'm grown, I'm running away, and then they, they let you know, you're not really that grown, you done lost your mind. I looked up here in the United States, things that we lose, things that you lose, Excel. We lose our keys, our wallet, our phone, remote control, glasses. Kids obviously have a very different list. They lose their hats and mittens, school supplies, jackets, lunch boxes. 71% of Americans say they lose their keys at least once a month. If that's you, why don't you go ahead and just raise your hand, tell the truth, shame the devil. At least once a month, you lose your keys. They say the average time that we look for things here in America is five minutes in 20 seconds. For over five minutes, we're looking for something that we lost. Come on, that's the altar call. We're going to look for Jesus for more than five minutes. 
And 69% of people say they lose, they find one thing that's lost while they're looking for something else. And obviously we lose most of it at home and on the weekends because we're just hanging out. But there is hope. Someone say there is hope. Because scientists, Pastor Buford says that forgetfulness is a sign of intelligence. Why don't you look to your neighbor and say, you're smart. See, some of you husbands and wives, they really didn't want to say that to you. That just hurt a little bit. Go ahead, say it again. Say, you're smart. I know you're always losing your keys and you're asking me where it's at. You might have a gremlin like at my house where I put my keys in one place and then somehow it's just me and my wife and my keys are somewhere different. I actually just left them in my pants pocket, but I blame my wife anyways because it's more fun that way. But though scientists might say that forgetfulness is a sign of intelligence, in the case of Lot, from what we read in Genesis 13, it was the exact opposite. It wasn't very smart because his family lost the most important thing. They weren't walking around a Walmart parking lot looking for a car. They weren't late to work for their keys. They lost God. Someone say God. We can lose a lot of things, but God forbid that you or your family loses out on a relationship with God. Because what will it profit us to gain the whole world if we lose our only soul? We must make sure that in 10 years or 20 years or 30 or 40 or 50 years, God tarries, that we still have God at Lighthouse. That we are still a lighthouse to a lost and dying world. That we still preach Jesus. We still have truth. God forbid that the next generation of Excel doesn't grow up knowing that there is only one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, here Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Matthew 1, 21, she shall bring forth the Son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Excel, if you haven't gotten anything else from me this week, you must know that there is only one God and you got to live according to the Word of God with everything that you have. God forbid you grow up in a church and you don't know that God forbid you don't know Colossians 2.9, for in Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, preached unto the world, believed on amongst the Gentiles, and received up in the glory. There is only one God, and his name is we better still preach that 10, 20 years from now. I don't care what Kylea knows about what I do for work. I don't care if she knows about a car I drive or sports or anything else. If she doesn't know Jesus and him crucified first, then I failed as a parent. And so what we must do as a church is make sure the next generation doesn't lose out on God. We must make sure that they know that you still must be born Again, John 3, verse 5, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus Gordon. And he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of water. Someone say water. And spirit. Someone say spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We must be born again. And Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost. And when they heard this, according to verse 37, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For that promise is unto you and to your children and to all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We better not come up here and give Rice Krispie Treat messages and just go through the motions and have church. This is a building because we're trying to get the next generation to know that they must be born again, that it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter your past, Alexis. Come on, God still has a word for you, and you can have a testimony. He can change your circumstances. 
no matter your background, no matter the sin we've done. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But Anthony, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us all of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We still preach repentance. Yes, you can come as you are, but you don't need to leave as you are. God wants to grow you. God wants you to grow in a relationship with him. He wants you to be better and better each and every day. See, my, my daughter, I love her the way she is. She can't figure out how to put the spoon in her mouth yet, and yogurt's going all over her face. But I don't want her to stay that way. I can love her where she's at, but I want her to continue to grow, and that's what God wants for you. And the next step, the next thing we're called to do is to be baptized. Someone say, be baptized. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle. I have a lot of different relationships, but I have a name. And if my wife is getting attacked, God forbid, she's not going to say husband, because if you're a husband, raise your hand. She's not going to say father. If you're a father, raise your hand. If you're an uncle, raise your hand. If you're a brother, raise your hand. Now, she, she could use my relationships, the different things and how I relate to people. But if she wants to get my attention, she's going to yell my government name, David. Because as soon as I hear David from that little voice, or Kylea saying David, all of a sudden it's going to get my attention. And that's why Acts 4.12 says, neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ today. Come on, we pray in his name. When you're about to get in a car accident, you say, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You say, Jesus. And so we also baptize in the name of Jesus because that's the saving name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee has got to bow and every tongue has got to confess that Jesus Christ is both Lord and God. We still preach baptism in Jesus' name. Excel Youth Group, yes, this church is wonderful. Yes, this church is beautiful. We're thankful for what God has brought us from, and we're thankful for where God is bringing us. But don't let the lights, don't let the amazing campus, don't let the great fellowship and the coffee fool you. The reason why you're here is because we don't want you to be lost. We want you to know that there is one God, that you got to be born again. Come on, speak Jesus over your life. Speak Jesus over your future. And we still believe in the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost. By the evidence of speaking in an unlearned language, God gives us the ability. And we don't have to go to Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19, or 22 to see it either. We can go to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. We can go to Numbers chapter 14. We can go to Romans chapter 8, 9, and 10. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, I would that you all would speak with tongues. In verse 18, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. In verse 39, he says, and don't tell someone that they shouldn't speak with tongues because that is the evidence. That is the evidence that you are filled with the power of the Most High God. And we want the next generation to know that. We want the next generation to love the Word of God. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. And Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You must know this Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Study to show yourself approved to work needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Excel youth group, you must love this word more than anything else. That's what we talked about in Sunday school. Hide this word in your heart that you might not sin against God. 
you got to love this word. You got to love this word. I don't want the next generation to just love church. I want them to love the word of God as well. I don't want them to love just what they feel. They got to love this word. And this word calls us to live a different life, not because we're trying to be better than anybody else, but because we love God. I wore this tie like I told you all in Sunday school. My wife picked it out. I didn't wear it because I was scared she was going to divorce me. Oh, if I don't wear this tie, she's kicking me out. I got to sleep on the couch and I'm too long for a couch. So I'm going to look like a camel by the end of it. A bit back question mark. I wore it because I love my wife, and we live differently because we love God. 1 Peter 1, 15, verse six, 1, verses 15 through 16, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all manner of your lifestyle. As it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. 1 Peter 1, verses 2 through 9 says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You're his own special people. You're called out of darkness to live differently for Jesus Christ, and I don't want you to lose that. Yes, I want you to be able to be in ministry, but I want you to know that you're called to live differently. We don't act like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't watch what they watch. We don't talk like they talk. We live differently. Come on, older generation. Do we want this younger generation to still love holiness? Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not too much to ask for, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want this generation not to be lost. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to speak Jesus. I want them to have Jesus. Jesus. Lose your keys. Get lost in a Walmart parking lot, but don't lose Jesus. Forget your shoes. Lose your socks, but don't lose Jesus. We must know Jesus. We must know Jesus. We must know Jesus. Someone say choosing for yourself. Someone say choosing for yourself. It's unfortunate to pass on a love for a sports team more than a love for the Word of God. I'm not saying don't love sports, but it's unfortunate if the only time our kids hear Jesus is on Sundays and Wednesdays, but they can hear Roll Tide all throughout the week. It's unfortunate to pass on a Bible just for it to get dusty and never to be read. It's unfortunate to pass on rules instead of a relationship. Or hobbies instead of holiness. It's unfortunate to pass on a political preference rather than a Pentecostal experience. I don't care who you vote for. I know who my president is. It's Joe Biden right now, and I respect and I pray for our president. But I know who my king is. I know who the alpha and the omega is. So I'm not getting caught up on what Facebook is saying, what CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or anybody else is saying. I preach Jesus. I speak Jesus over my family. More than how I vote, more than which way I lean, more than all of that stuff, I speak Jesus. Yeah, it's unfortunate to pass on temporal things rather than talking about eternal things. We must make sure this next generation isn't lost. I'm speaking to Excel as well, but I've come with a burden to preach to this entire church. We are the lighthouse for the next generation not to crash against the rocks and die. We are the lighthouse. Why? To guide them to the shore, to guide them to safety, to guide them to their purpose. So we must not pass on barely living for God 
But then when it comes to extracurricular activities and school activities, we say give your all. Well, it's okay to miss a few Wednesdays because of baseball. No, it's not acceptable because I want to make sure my family is saved. I want Kailea to enjoy the pleasures of this world. I want her to have a lot of fun. I want her to have a lot of adventure. But if she's not saved, then what does it even matter if she has all A's, if she goes to the best university, if she gets to enjoy all the sports and travel the whole world? Do all that. But first, I'm going to say first. First, get Jesus. So let's look at this story, this history of Lot, and see how he ultimately lost God for his family. Lot was Abram's nephew. Abraham was also named Abraham later, but since we only know him mostly as Abraham, we're just going to call him Abraham for now, okay? Everyone say Abraham. So after Lot's grandfather and father passed away, Abraham became the leader or the patriarch of his family. And Lot was privileged to spend a lot of time with Abraham, and he knew that the promises of God was on Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, we see insight that Lot went. Someone say went. That Lot went with Abraham because he wanted to be a part of God's promises coming to pass in his life. And we learn in verse 4 that Lot chose to go with Abraham and they went to Haran. Some time has passed between verse 5 because they're leaving Haran to go to the land of Canaan. And in verse 5 of chapter 12, we see that Abraham took Lot. Someone say took. See, at first Lot went with Abraham, but now Abraham is taking Lot with him. Somewhere along the way in that journey from Haran to Canaan, Lot's priorities started to change and shift because he stopped wanting to go and he had to start being taken. And to make matters worse, both Lot's flocks and Abraham's flocks were growing so big that there wasn't enough land to sustain both of them. And the herdsmen started fighting. And so Abraham felt from God that it's time that they split up because there's a a lot of quarreling, there's a lot of fighting. And so Abraham gave Lot his choice of the land. Abraham loved Lot so much. Your pastor loves you so much that he allows you and God allows you under your own free will to make a decision for your life. God loves me so much. He might give us advice through his word, but he's not going to force you. And so it's our choice. And this is where we pick up our text in Genesis 13. And Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 11 So Lot chose for himself. Look to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Look to someone else and say, get over yourself. Now, husbands and wives, this is your time. It's been building up a little bit. Look to to someone and say, get over yourself. It just feels good. feels good. I wish someone would have told that to Lot. Lot, it's not about you. Lot, get over yourself. But Lot chose for himself himself. Lot didn't think about his wife. He chose for himself. Lot didn't think about his children. He chose for himself. Lot didn't think about the people that he had influence over, the people that worked for him. Lot only chose for himself. You and I can choose where we work. We can choose our house. We can choose what we watch, what we listen to, the places we go, the conversations we have. We can choose what influences we allow in our home. But what we can't choose is how that influences our home. You and I can't choose how that affects our family. We choose our destiny, but in reality, all of our choices affects the destiny of the ones coming after us. And we need to have the mindset of Joshua because Lot chose for himself, but Joshua 24 verse 5, as for me and my 
house because Joshua wasn't thinking just about how it benefits him. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because your family is included in every decision that we make. And so it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about them. It's about Excel Youth Group. Lighthouse, you might have been an elder a long time here. You might just started coming. You might be a young family, a young adult, but it's not about you. It's about them. When did we turn church service into church serve us? And we come to get fed instead of to give to others. So let's make this very practical, very plain. We can't watch a bunch of garbage and then be confused why our children or those around us are struggling with their identity, their self-worth, lust, or anger, or anything else. Well, it's okay. I can watch it because I'm mature, but your kids are watching it. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear, because the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, because it's about them. We can't gossip in front of our kids on the way home. Well, pastor this, and pastor's wife this, and they did this, and they did that. And then when they have a word from God at an altar for your kid, and they go and lay hands on your kid to pray for them, all your kid can think about is, oh, well, pastor this, and pastor that, nah, 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 nah. And they can't receive a word from God from the man of God because of us gossiping. We want people to respect our former president or our current president. Well, it starts in the house. We want our wives to respect us and us to respect our wives and vice versa and all that. Well, it starts with us. We want our kids to respect us. It starts with how we're respecting those over us. If they see us always backbiting spiritual authority, why do you think they're not going to backbite authority? We must have respect. We can't always only talk about sports, money, movies, or any other temporal things and never talk about the things of God and wonder why our families aren't growing spiritually. We can't sit back and not worship and preach with the preacher and find every excuse of why we can't come to church and why the church can do better this and the church can do better that, but then we're not serving in ministry. We're not involved. We're not helping. We're not on the front lines making sure great things happen here at the church. Because, lot, you're not choosing for yourself. I'm not choosing for myself. I'm choosing for that baby girl over there with the big blue bow named Kalea. My choices don't just affect me. It affects Natalie and Kalea. But unfortunately, Lot chose for himself. He went to Sodom and Gomorrah because it felt good. And as we continue to read the story of Lot, God became extremely frustrated with the city. It became so wicked that God declared he was going to destroy it. So Abraham pleaded with the Lord, please don't destroy it. What if we find 50 righteous people there? There's not 50. What about 45, Cindy? 40? 30? 20? What about 10, Annie? If there's 10 righteous people, will you spare it? Now, we know that Lot had a wife. He had two daughters and then two son-in-laws. So that's a list, six people. And they couldn't positively influence four other people to live for God. So don't give me the wise old thing, well, it, it, we're influencing them. They're not influencing us. No, it matters who we marry. It matters what we allow to influence our family's life. We must be careful. Because even his son-in-laws didn't want to escape destruction. We must be careful who we allow our kids to be friends with. Well, I want them to be popular and feel like a normal kid. I don't remember reading in the Word of God where that is even an important priority. I want my daughter saved. So God, he sent two angels to warn Lot. 
so that he and his family could escape. And while the angels were there, men of the city came to do evil things. And Lot offered his two daughters instead. Lot's mind is so twisted, he's willing to sacrifice his family to protect holy things. Well, I have a reputation. So I don't want to go to the altar and pray because what will people think of me? I don't really care what you think. If there's something that I need to get right to save my family, and I'm going to come up here and do the ugly cry, I'm going to do whatever it takes because I want my family saved. I'm not going to try to protect holy things and sacrifice my family. I might get a little undignified. I might stay long at the altar, but it doesn't matter. If it saves my family, then I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I want my family saved. But Lot chose for himself. Lot's earlier decisions had positioned his wife to fail. She had no control over the decisions. However, while escaping the city, the angel said, don't look back. But because she shouldn't have even been there in the first place, she fell in love with that because of her husband's decisions. And because of her love for something she should have never experienced, she turned back and died. Lot chose for himself and he lost his wife. Then his daughters, after escaping the city, decided to do evil things. And from their mistake, the Moabites and the Ammonites' lineage were born. These two groups of people were constantly warned against the Israelites. The Moabites and Ammonites also sacrificed their children on the false god Molech, burning them alive. Because our poor decisions always create a battle for the next generation. So I wonder if we could talk to Lot today. What do you think he would say? If we asked him about decisions and choices Brother Lee, what do you think he would say? I imagine he would emphatically declare that our choices aren't just about us. It's about them. And while choosing for ourselves, we're actually choosing for them. Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah, but I love what the Bible says about Abraham and his choices. Genesis 13, 8, that Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by Mamre, which is in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Abraham chose the mountains. Yes, it was the harder path. Yes, it wasn't always convenient or comfortable, but it was the path that was going to save his family. Abraham built an altar. Yes, temporal themes can seem more entertaining, but they always have to be secondary to our relationship with God. John 10, 10 says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. God wants you to have a great life here. He wants you to have success. He wants you to be able to travel. He wants you to have a blast here on earth. But that's always secondary to our relationship with God. And Lot was confident that he could be a saint in sin city, but he didn't consider his family at all. And Lot chose for himself. He was confident that he could survive in that environment, but it cost him his family. In Hebrews 11, Lot is mentioned amongst great men and women of faith like Esther and Rahab and Joshua and Moses and Noah because Lot was still considered righteous because though he lived in Sin City, it didn't affect him. But his choices cost him his family. How sobering that you might make it to heaven, but your poor choices cost the people around you to make it to heaven as the music comes. God forbid we make decisions to live in such a way that we live for God and our families don't live for God. There's a story about a Missouri wheat farmer who had a wife, two sons, and a daughter. One Sunday morning, his farmer friend from down the road asked him if he had been listening to the radio to listen to the weather. The farmer said he wasn't because he and his family were getting ready for church. The kind neighbor told him that there's a hell storm headed their way. The wheat is white. In the field, it's ready to be harvested. There's no way you can get it all out. 
But I suggest you get out your combine and save as much wheat as you can because there's a hailstorm headed our way. The Christian farmer told him, thank you for your call, but we're getting ready for church. And we're going to church because that's what we do every time the doors are open. So he loaded up his wife and three children in the car and they went to church that Sunday morning just like they always did. During church that day, the hailstorm struck and they could hear it going on outside beating against the roof. I'm sure he was distracted trying to listen to the preacher wondering about the damage that could be at home from that hailstorm. After church, he, his three children, his wife loaded up the car and they headed back to their farm. On the way, they talked about what they would find when they got there. They wondered about the damage that would be there. When they got near their house, they were amazed by what they saw. You would think that the hailstorm split in two like the Red Sea and it passed their house, or maybe it jumped over and there was no damage. But that's not what happens. Because when you live for God, it's not always easy. And bad things can happen still. It rains on the just and the unjust. However, when they got to the farm, the wheat was beaten down in the field and the crop was destroyed. It was a total loss. Years later, the two farmer friends were talking about that day. His friend said, I'm sure you wished you would have stayed home from church that day. Maybe you would have been able to save some of your wheat crop and your harvest and not lose so much money. Without hesitation, the Christian farmer replied, no, sir. You see, on that day, we lost our wheat crop, but we saved the main crop. You see, my kids are grown up now. One of my boys is a lawyer and is still a Christian. My other son is in the ministry. My daughter is also serving the Lord. I lost my wheat crop that day, but I saved my main crop because he put his family first because his choices aren't just about him. It's not just about him. It's about them, Brother Lowe. So today, God is calling us as a church to repent. Because we all can do better. We all can do better. We all can do better. Fathers, let's not say, oh, I'm not emotional. No, let's be men of God and lead. We get emotional with sports. We get emotional about politics. Well, let's get passionate about the things of God. And in a moment in the altar, why don't you get with your family and let them hear you crying out to God saying, I want my family saved. Let's be an example and show our families what it means to live according to the word of God. We're the watchmen on the wall and we gotta protect our family from this crazy, cruel world. Mamas, mama bear, you got power. Let your kids, you spend so much time with the kids. I honor every woman here today that sacrifices so much of your body, your energy, your mind to help raise these wonderful kids. I honor you today. Be a mama bear. And at an altar today, let these children hear your prayers of defense around them. That it's not about them being normal. It's about them being saved. Well, I don't come from an ideal family. My family's broken. My heart hurts for you. However, Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, stir up the gifts that are within you by the laying on of your hands from your mother and your grandmother. The father and grandfather wasn't mentioned. So mama, though the ideal has been destroyed by sin or by, maybe by mistakes in the past, it could run in your family until it ran into you. Rewrite your story today at an altar. To Excel Youth Ministry, you've prayed so hard this week. We've learned and grown so much. 
why don't you show your parents that you're going to speak Jesus and you get serious? And yes, it's going to be a little bit awkward. Your parents might not have ever heard you pray before, but let them hear you today because it's not about anybody else. It's about you showing everybody else that I am going to live for God. I made some decisions this week, and I'm going to live out my commitments. And to the single people, well, I don't have a family, so how are you preaching to me? We have a church family. And you might not have family right from blood, but there's people here that look to you. And when you don't show up, they notice. When you're not serving in ministry, they notice. When you get cold to the presence of God and you used to be a hero of the faith and you slowly start drifting back from the front lines of living for God, they notice. And they're looking at you and your choices aren't about you and they're not about me. It's about them. It's about them. And as a church, our choices aren't just about us four and no more or the people inside these walls. It's about the people outside these walls that are broken and on their way to an eternity in hell. And our choices of how we conduct ourselves at the grocery store, at our job, when that person cuts us off, pray for me. I need prayer on that side how our neighbors see us. Our choices aren't just about us. It's about those people out there. Would you all stand with me?